What up artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity and you know maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. Welcome to Art Pays Me. Today we have Andrea Shang Jackson. So Andrea, thank you for coming to the show. I've, I've been following you online for a while and I really like uh, just the clean, uh, crisp, like very, um, I don't know, like you have a very bright sense to your work and it, it always feels good to look at it and experience it. And it's, uh, it's exciting to finally get to talk to you. So what is it that you do? Hi, Dwayne. Thanks for having me today. Um, I am a textile artist uh, working mainly with quilts. I'm a quilt designer as well and an author and a teacher, uh, a teacher of quilting. Um, Yeah, so I have various aspects to my art practice as well as an approach to business or several several approaches maybe. Um, And I've been working in this field for about four and a half years now. And I come from a design background, so I studied architecture worked in design fields and are in and around design and education um, for my professional life up till that four-year point. Um, and uh, I've had kids and I was home with some, with a couple of, a toddler and a baby. And I was thinking about going back to work. I wasn't working at the time. And I thought maybe a side hustle would be fun. And I fell upon quilting. I've, I started, I made a couple of quilts, so one for each baby. And then I thought that was going to be the end, but um, I really enjoyed my time quilting uh, and sewing. It gives kind of my own thing away from my kids. As a, as a young mother, it's really easy to get your identity get subsumed into what you're doing day to day, feeding sure. small children <laughs> um, and, you know, keeping them entertained and, and engaged and so this was kind of my escape it was the thing that was my own and nobody else's and so I kind of I really enjoyed that kind of time I I called my studio my my sanctuary kind of a place where I could be alone with my thoughts and really just be myself um so when I was thinking about going back to work um my husband had thought about he's like you really enjoy quilting like you could probably design patterns that people would enjoy making because pattern designing is very similar to architecture in that you are putting together written instructions and diagrams for somebody else to make to create something which is what an architect does an architect imagines something draws up drawings and plans and uh, verbal instructions as well to for a builder to be able to put that together and for us to create space to for people to live in and to work in and to exist in um, so that seemed like a very easy it wasn't even a leap it was like oh that's that totally makes sense yeah and so I kind of I, I joined um, uh, my local chapter of the International Modern Quilt Guild so the Maritime Modern Quilt Guild and these are going to be my customers um, so I was doing some customer research and, uh, I found some amazing friends there. Uh, quilters are, are often very generous people. 
I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen or witnessed a quilt being made, but it takes a ton of time and a ton of energy and a ton of resources. Actually, fabric is quite, can be quite expensive. Mm. And so often, especially there's mostly, it's mostly women uh, that quilt and they are just so driven to help people. Um, and it's, it's pretty amazing to see such a generous spirit amongst humans. And uh, for example, a couple months ago, I had somebody contact me who was um, late in her pregnancy, but she was undergoing some uh, treatment for breast cancer. And so she asked if somebody was willing to help finish a quilt for her baby because the baby was coming pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And so the the women, a group of women in my guild, they jumped on that and got this quilt done uh, for that baby within less than two weeks, I think. And she was able to take it to the hospital with her and welcome the baby in this quilt. And it was um, it's pretty amazing to see. It wasn't, it wasn't a simple one. It had these really powerful words on it, a beautiful, badass or something like that. It was really, it was really cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so that's that generosity of spirit really kind of took hold of me. I was just so surprised to find this, these people that were so passionate about a craft and then we're willing to share it with the world that way. And so they became my people, my people. Uh-huh. And uh, not only my customers, but just a really encouraging group of people to be around and who really wanted to see me succeed. Um, yeah, so I've, I've kind of carved out a, a dual path, I would say. One as a person who is a quilt designer who has a business to cre- that creates quilt designs and teaches other quilters how to how to make things and then also parallel to that is is an art practice that I'm starting to kind of understand I didn't go to art school so I don't really know what that always means Um, but I'm starting to do a bit more experimental work thanks to a couple of grants in the last year and um, I'm doing an animation project um, and also doing some work with the Nova Scotia Museum collection. So a couple of more exploratory projects that wouldn't come to me in the quilting world, um, but I really wanted to be able to explore different facets of of textile work and uh, make my own way, I guess. Right. So are you doing, that's an amazing story, by the way. Uh, Are you doing the illustrations for some of those as well? For the animation or for for my patterns say some of your patterns or like yeah Yeah, so yeah the patterns are all designed by me and then I have diagrams that are illustrations that that kind of step by step work walk your way walk people through how to how to construct something and yeah I do all the illustrations myself it's it's pretty second nature to me um and at this point I've been I graduated from architecture school in 2007 so um you know Drawing diagrams is, is, it's actually, I, I communicate better in diagrams than in words, frankly speaking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, let's, let's dial that back a little bit. So you went to McGill University, you graduated from, with architecture degree, and you have a master's of education from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. You're kind of like, yeah, you know, I got, you know, I did some architecture stuff and some education stuff. <laughs> <laughs> But like you, you're legit. Like you, you really know your stuff. 
I like to think I do, but sometimes I feel like I don't know anything at all. <laughs> um, yeah, um, you know, as a children of Chinese immigrants, school uh, education is very important. So mm-hmm. it was there was no question that I was going to go to university. Um, I again kind of fell into architecture. There was nothing at the university at university that really piqued my interest. Science seemed too cut and dry. I didn't like reading that much. So like an arts degree seemed like that would be just way, just really out of my comfort zone and not, not something I would enjoy. Business school seemed too businessy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so architecture is by nature an interdisciplinary, it's just interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Everything goes in architecture, politics, economics, science, uh, art, math, like all of those things apply to architecture. And so this kind of way, this intersection of all of those things was was like, I was like, I can do that. I could, I could be interested in studying that, um, and in, including history. And I actually oddly just um, discovered a love for history uh, mm. during that degree. I, we happened to have a faculty that was very historic, like architectural historian heavy. So we did take a lot of history classes. I mean, they were very Western, um, but, you know, I, I appreciated where, the lineage um, that brought us here um, as architects and artists and right. as humans. So um, that was, I mean, it was, it was, it was pivotal to my life. I think that um, that I took that degree and saw, started to see the the world through a lens that was interdisciplinary, and that's why I went to education, the ed school at, at Harvard, because I wanted to look at how we learn when we design because design does bring so many elements together. And so when you teach design, um, no matter what age you are, we don't explicitly say we teach design to kids, but we do um, in schools, you know, any sort of science project or, you know, um, art project, all of those, you know, things and ways of, it's just a way of thinking actually. And so I wanted to kind of look at how we, parse out all the disciplines and how we channel them back into a single um, curriculum cu- curriculum project or or something like that and and see you know that's how fruitful that can be for for somebody to look at a problem in some on from so many different angles and come to a solution that satisfies as much of uh, those angles as possible mm-hmm. and so my you know it was not clear to me what my career path was going to be after that. I knew I didn't want to be an architect outright. Um, you know, there are certain paths, um, you know, I didn't want to design houses for rich people. That was very clear <laughs> to me. Although that there's a place for that and there's importance in that. I think there's a lot of our ex- experimental work that can happen when you have a client that um, can't afford that. And it's, it's, it's pretty neat to see, but I knew that I wasn't going to be that person. Yeah. Um, and I knew that, you know, being able to build public projects would be very hard business-wise to 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 handle. So um, I knew that after the after my education, I was going to be doing something that was design and education related, and putting those two things together. And so I did a random <laughs> a random amount of things after that. I think it's part of being a millennial is you just kind of go from contract to contract. Um, you know, you don't, you're not looking necessarily for that permanent job right off the bat, mm. or I wasn't anyway. Um, I just wanted to do what I wanted to right. do that was sounded interesting to me. And so I um, worked at an architecture museum in Montreal, uh, 
but in their communications department. So really kind of trying to get information that was very academic um, and formulate it so that it was uh, understandable and accessible to the public. Um, that's kind of a, the, what I was trying to do there. I was very junior. I was a kind of a junior editor for our, the website, a new website that we were launching. Um, and then from there, I moved to uh, working as a, an exhibit designer in a science museum. So using design to educate people about a certain topic, uh, which was endlessly fascinating, fascinating to me. I think if I were to choose uh, another career, I would go back to doing that. I think it's, mm. it's so cool to put, like understand all of this information that historians and curators and um, science education officers kind of put together and, and transform that into a physical choreographed experience right. is really, really, it's really satisfying. Huh. <laughs> um, and so, you know, coming up with games for people, for, for kids to engage in so that they can learn something, it's, it's pretty fascinating, but not actually having to directly <laughs> interface with a child. Not that I don't <laughs> love kids, but it, it's a different, it's a different skill set to be able to walk a kid through that bit, like, you know, one-on-one or, or in a classroom, um, but to be able to set that, set up something for them and set up an experience for them and yeah. then have them learn from that is, is, is pretty cool. And so I, you know, that kind of spatial um, design, I do want to get back to through my closing. I don't know how, what that's going to look like, but um, I do love really big things. So making really big quilts would be <laughs> like installation size um, quilts and, or maybe 3D something or other would be really, it's something that I would I'd aspire to and hope that I get the chance to do in the, in the, in the following years. Of I my, can't lie. I, I, I saw your work and I thought about that too. I was like, I could see this in some kind of space and mm-hmm. I, I couldn't see how, but like, yeah, like some giant quilt. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, you know, quilts we think of as such a domestic medium um, that has so much baggage in itself. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I really want to push it into the public realm and see where that can go when you actually touch a quilt or when you start making them, you realize how strong they are and how um, when you put it, as you put thread into it, it gets more and more structural. And so I think that's really fascinating and cool. And I hope that I, with, with time, I get to explore that a bit more and, um, you know, like exert a quilt or several quilts out of space yeah. so that you're confronted with, with, with quilts that in a, in a way that you haven't seen before. It's not on your bed. It's not keeping you comfortable. It's making you uncomfortable and uh, really challenging the way you look at that medium. Uh, I think that's something I do aspire to. How do you feel about the, like, you mentioned this idea of gender. Like, do you, how do you feel about quilting being traditionally such a gendered media? That is a very loaded question, mm. and I don't think I've figured it all out, but <laughs> I have never felt more female than I do in this in this path. Mm. Um, in architecture, it's a male dominated well, it has been traditionally a male dominated field, as yeah. many others are. And so I never felt I mean, I was never con- confront I don't know I, I, until I started being on the female side of things and to find and and working in this um in quilting I don't know I just never felt it Um, maybe I was just blind to it or naive or something um, just in terms of gender disparity and throughout my entire life but I never felt 
disadvantaged until, until I started working with textiles. And, you know, if I were to um, make a quilt that was bed size, let's say, say it's not even bed size, say it's like 60 inches by, so five feet by five feet. Yeah. Um, it would not never, I hope to say that it would, but in this day and age, it would not ever sell as much as for as high a price as a painting at the same size. Mm-hmm. Um, no. Yeah. 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 Something about it being maybe funk people see quilts as functional or uh, rather than artwork, which well, oddly puts its value down or yeah. um that it's women's work we take textiles for granted so so much like it's the exploitative side of textiles is like crazy if you think about it like what am i wearing right now Mm -hmm. um that somebody got paid a few cents for what i'm wearing yeah um and so and same with my bed covering that was you know if i i think my current duvet covers from like target so um you know somebody got also paid a few cents for me to be comfortable every single night of my Mm -hmm. life um and so you know who if somebody's getting paid for it but it's not the person who made it yeah well Um, yeah it's i think the gender part of it is definitely i think you're onto something with that uh i know also as someone who went through the art school route the folks in the craft side of of the building often felt like there's there was an undervaluing of it. Uh, it's almost like, like you said, because it's a functional process, it gets less cachet or less respect in, in a lot of ways than something that's done for purely the expressive side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that especially with quilting, because there's that generosity of quilters, you know, like my grandmother made this quilt for me and it was free. Mm-hmm. Like she made yeah. it for me, but it cost her $400 in materials and she spent like hundreds of hours on it. But like that work is not seen as creative work that is economically valuable. Um, so I think we've, we've seen quilts as something that's so vernacular and so um that as an art form it's tricky to to make that switch but i hope that it's i'm I'm hoping that 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 changes i think that i um i think his name was the curator his name is adam grayson um but he he wrote an article earlier this year in january and one of the things that i really pulled from it was that craft he said that craft is art the art world's path to diversity Mm. there is no there is no like there's no culture that is not doesn't have a textile culture Mm -hmm. we all have to be clothed we all have to be warm um and so and you know women have to be clothed and men have to be clothed Mm -hmm. and so you know there is no there's no better there's there's this is such a great way to access what how how people move through the world is through craft is like everybody has to do it everybody has a relationship to this and so if we can see craft as that way that the art world can expand its lens and see people um beyond that kind of traditional um those artists that come out of the academy and that are 
um, uh, you know, treated, you know, that, that are, that their work is displayed in museums and, sure. and things like that. Um, we, there, there's work there that can be done. And I think it's, it's going to be so valuable when we really kind of equalize the playing field again, bring up textiles and craft to, to that level. I think mm -hmm. folk art, the word folk art has kind of come to me in the last year and a half or so, like, is what I do folk art. And I think if I think it is like it is, I didn't learn in a school. I learned from people around me mm -hmm. and that tradition was passed to me. Uh, I sought it out and I found it. And like people who learn how to make things from YouTube, like that's kind of folk art. It's, it's, folk it's art, weird. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, and so that kind of definition is kind of loosening. And I think the, uh, the constraints around what is art and what is valuable art. Um, it's, it's constantly talked about. It has been for ages, but it's, it's got a new, I think it's got a new slant now that we've, we've got so much access to informing ourselves or like educating ourselves about how to make things and how to be artists. And yeah, it's, 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 wow. It's like, I don't, I haven't figured it all out at all. <laughs> I'm just uh, kind of yeah. tip of the iceberg. <laughs> Absolutely. I was, I was curious how that worked for you because I mean, like you said, it's a time consuming process. I'm assuming people get like a one-off piece from you when, if you do a commission for them mm -hmm. yeah. and you know, as someone who's on the painting side of it and I'm watching, I haven't, <laughs> I, I've, unfortunately I haven't achieved some of the status of some of my colleagues, but you see like, you know, a one-off, for instance, a Basquiat recently just, is predicted to go for auction at $10 million. It's a painting. Like it, mm -hmm. it may not have taken as long as your quilted piece, but it's like almost this, if it's the person, the, the art, art value is a lot, so much based on perception more so <laughs> than um, other things. So it's very interesting. I think if you, position one of your quilts in a certain way it automatically now increases its value a certain amount right um, yeah and it depends who buys it, it depends i think who buys it's, it. it's weird because i i recently worked on a a commission for an architect and um i it hasn't the the project that it's that it's going to be in is, is not finished yet so i hope to have photos sometime this summer but um I think that somehow that makes it more valuable than if like, I don't know, uh, Joe Schmo bought it mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, yes. I can't photograph it in that kind of space. That's, um, that's contemporary and clean. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it, you know, I can, I can, the clients that I can get after this will be different than, if Joe Schmo bought it and then I never saw it again. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't the the business of art buying is not one that I'm familiar with yet, but I, <laughs> you know, I, I enjoy it when somebody pays me for my work. That's it's, I, I, I'm happy to, to, to do that. If it's, especially if it's a project that, that really speaks to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Angie, how, how have you been coping through the pandemic and, the social uprising and all of that stuff, has your business been affected in any way? And like, how are you just personally feeling? Um, I've have found it really tough. I would say that um, 
out of the gate, I was like, I am totally on top of this pandemic. Like I'm ready <laughs> for you. <laughs> My kids were on a schedule and they left me alone for a few hours in the morning to, for me to be able to work. And then, you know, we would do something in the afternoon. Um, that lasted three to five weeks maybe. And then, then it all kind of crumbled. Mm. I think that, you know, disruptive disruption after disruption, um, I've kind of felt like that I've been like punched several times in a row. Yeah. Um, I think the pandemic was one thing I found it. I didn't realize this until a couple months in, but how much of my creative energy or creative momentum had just gone kaput. Um, you know, even moving from five or six hours a day on weekdays when the kids were at school to just a couple of hours, there's this focus that I could not ever achieve. Uh, has has not have I not been able to achieve. Um, because I have like an hour here, half an hour there. Um, but I have to like keep on top of my email. So that's another half an hour there and like, and things like that. And just being exhausted kind of at the end of the day. I know some parents work at night and I just, I just can't even fathom that anymore. Maybe I'm just too old for that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like, you know, I was working on these kind of experimental projects in January and February and they were like moving along and I was feeling excited about them. And then I could, I just, like, I had to set them aside and, and kind of get the family machine working. Even like, though my husband is home as well, and he's doing just as much as I am with the kids. Like, um, it was really, it's, it's just been hard. Uh, So I I turned to things that I knew how to create. So, you know, creating a pattern or like creating a quilt from a pattern, doing easier things was really, um, was fulfilling for me because like yeah I can do this I can totally do this uh and then I had to write a new pattern and and that was right around when um it was right after George 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 Floyd got murdered and I was I made so many mistakes I was so surprised at how many mistakes I made I was just so I I couldn't focus Mm -hmm. and I was like what am I what's wrong with me like I don't understand um like this is not extremely difficult work it's you know it takes some some brains but like I, I can do this like you know you're, um, you're a master at this point so it should be easy <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so I need mean, that emotional side I think that really hit I think especially with uh Black Lives Matter um kind of to a lesser extent but still kind of emotionally really hard was when uh, with the Nova Scotia mass shootings in April yeah um that emotional to- toil, it's kind of new to me, which is, sounds really weird as a 37-year-old that I'm like, oh, I have emotions? like, And that affects how I work? Seems a little silly. Um, but it really, really, really kind of it hit me harder than I had really expected. And um, it's, been a, it's been a struggle, for sure. Um, and I think that, you know, my focus at first was on the kids and then moving through was like, what, where do I, who, where do I fit into all of this as a non-black, non-indigenous person of color? Mm-hmm. Um, what is my, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to know? Because I have been shielded quite a bit from, you know, I, I, I fit that like model minority 
yes, type yeah. person. Like I, you know, like I've fit all the things. I've checked all the boxes. I've done all the things that society should tell, like tells me I should have done, and I've done those. And um, and I stay quiet when I'm supposed to stay quiet. And it's it's been it's, it's going to be a journey for the rest of my life to figure out what that what my position is and what in terms of what I'm supposed to do and say and and act I know that my circle of influence um you know immediately is my kids and um and then beyond that how that that ripples I I have I know there's a strain of me genetically actually my grandmother is like this my mom to a certain extent too um very outspoken Mm -hmm. Uh, I just don't know what what I'm supposed to say I can (laughs) once I know what I can what I'm supposed to say I have no problem saying it it's just I you know there's a there's this like part of me that knows I know how to be outspoken but I'm like what am I supposed to say Mm -hmm. um so that process of figuring out um what where what my role is 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 going to be an ongoing long process that I'm willing to do but it's it's work that will either shift my focus in my artistic work or my artistic work will have to not suffer but be a little sidelined for um in uh, as a consequence but it's it's really important for and I had the privilege of being able to kind of set set aside some of uh my work to be able to focus on on that so um Mm. Yeah, there's just I, I from the be from the beginning of this pandemic have realized so much how much privilege we have as a family to be able to navigate through this pandemic. I just didn't see how much it was tied to my race and my mm. husband's race. Interesting. Um, yeah, and you know my kids are mixed race, and um, but they probably will you know they'll either be seen as model minorities or white. So what they what they need to do and the way that they will need to move aside for other people to uh have their voices heard and to amplify other people around them is something that I was never really taught or know how to teach so (laughs) you know we've got a a few years still to to kind of help mold them and shape them into those people that are being like yeah sure I could be the CEO of this company but I want this person instead to be the CEO of this company because I think that's right and just um yeah so I don't know it's 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 very complicated and Mm. yeah I'm 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 in it for the marathon and to me honestly I I think that is the right approach because I, I think a lot of people have raced to say well why can't I do right now which is great um things should happen right now, but also the right things need to happen. And, and I do agree that like, it's a, it's a long term thing because like now you're saying like, I'm going to constantly be reflective of how certain things happen and how certain things play out. And uh, it is something that you kind of have to like (laughs) be taught early on as a black person. I, I remember, I don't know if I've told the story on the show before, but like my parents getting pissed at me. My mom reminded me of this the other day. She's like, remember when you told me that racism doesn't affect black people in the same way as it used to? 
And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's like, it's just important to like always kind of keep in mind like, oh, why, why was a certain decision made? And why did this thing happen? And what's really going on behind the scenes? Like you just, you kind of always have to be aware of, of uh, these different things. And um, to be, to be honest as well, even though I'm black, sometimes I get a little bit of a benefit of the model minority being that I'm an immigrant mm-hmm. because I found that sometimes uh, when it's comp- when I'm compared to, uh, and look, I'm, this is only my perception, me just watching things. I, so I can't say that this is exactly happening for sure, but I've heard people talk down on certain black communities when they find out that I'm from away. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, oh, so that's how you really feel? Okay. Um, uh, it just, it makes you think that like, it's like, oh, you're not like the others, you know, you're different and it's not okay either. So uh, I know we, we do, we just have a lot of work to do and it, it's, it's not going to be something that happens quickly or easily. And Sometimes I'm not even sure if, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't really have the answers yet either, but it's, it's going to be a, a long time. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> being remote from away as well as, um, even though it's just like from another province, I didn't, <laughs> I don't know anything about, like, I didn't know anything about the historic Black communities here mm-hmm. in Nova Scotia. I didn't learn that in school. I didn't learn that in Ontario when I was growing up that, you know, like slavery was something that happened like in the United States and like, you know, Canada welcomed slaves here. And, you know, that that's what, what I knew about historic, uh, like that was what Canadian history and blackness was about. That was, that was what I understood. Yeah. Um, whereas when I arrived, when I came here, I was like, Oh, this is, this, this is different. The, the, Black people have been oppressed in Canada, in Nova Scotia, for mm-hmm. hundreds of years. Yeah. And um, I've, I'm, I've started to see it. And I was like, oh, I like racism is not a thing of the past. And, you know, I, I think I was I was blinded to it for for so long that um, when I was at at Harvard for a year, I was, you know, it was just a year for my master's. And, you know, there was like a alumni of color group and like things that were specifically uh I I don't know if there was a black like a a group for um for african-americans and blacks um but I was like why are these why are there these groups like why Mm -hmm. why do we need these groups and I'm only starting to understand that was like 10 years ago and you know I'm I'm only starting to understand that oh yeah they need places to be we need places that the society needs places for black people to be black and be safe in that and be able to um, not be scared and, and say what they think and be, be themselves and not have to put on this facade of like, I have to act a certain way in this white institution. Um, And yeah, I can't believe that it took me this long to, to understand that, but um, I see, I see the value of those, those spaces now. And I'm, I'm 
really wanting to learn how to build those spaces in my community and um quilting is insanely white like it's just especially those the people with the power and the money like the people who own the companies that make fabric um and you know have the have the big empires it's a it's a very it's a multi-billion dollar industry um those the people that have that money are are mainly are mainly white and often men men actually at the helms of these uh companies and yeah yeah and you know I think it's changing now but I was like like it's it's always it's I've always held it at the industry at arm's length because it's felt so exploitative um you know you get paid a couple hundred dollars maybe if you're lucky to make something and that gets exposure a little bit of exposure I think this is kind of the artist's plight right you're like (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're like I'm gonna do this thing it's taking me several hours for some minor exposure or some exposure of some sort um so there's all I've I've always kind of tried to carefully around those and don't take on things that I'm not getting paid for and um and so I I don't know I haven't really jumped in so deeply because I've always felt a little bit like this is really unfair Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you know the creative people don't get um compensated and then the people who like move around the fabric you know like the middleman gets paid just so much more um but you know and I haven't reconciled like that's kind of business like businesses can be like that um doesn't have to be and shouldn't be um, so I've, I'm trying to like figure out where I want to be. And, um, and I think that I've come to the re- realization that I do belong there. I just don't know where I fit yet. Um, so, uh, that, again, we'll take a couple of, a few more years, I think, to figure that out. And, um, I'm really happy to be, uh, part of the Nova Scotia arts community. And I didn't really jump in until, um, pretty recently in the last year and a half or two two years I would say mm-hmm. um because I didn't go to NASCAD um I didn't go to art school here uh and I knew that my audience for quilting was kind of everywhere it was more global than just here so I kind of chased after the global like a a more a, bro- a broader audience um but I'm just so thankful for the supports that are here in Nova Scotia for artists um I've been able to lean in I'll lean on those supports and and you know like learn how to write a grant properly and um a grant application uh learn how to price my work learn from mentors I have a a mentor right now I'm part of the visual arts Nova Scotia mentorship program this year um so Frances Dorsey is my my mentor oh nice, nice yeah she's absolutely wonderful and so insightful and in in, a, in an instant kind of see right through me <laughs> which is pretty cool uh and so you know the supports here are pretty phenomenal I don't know you know I, I'm just dipping my toe into it right now but uh you know I I feel like your voice can be heard here in a way that in a larger province there's just so many more voices competing for for sure. For airtime that um, I'm really thankful to be here to be able to kind of cultivate what I have to say and then kind of mold that and shape that as I move along on this journey. Yeah, shout out to Visual Arts Nova Scotia, actually. Um, I, 
And I, I agree. I, even though I, I went to NASCAD and technically makes me part of this creative establishment, I always felt like an outsider. So I, I never really dipped my toes fully into the creative scene here until more or less recently. I'm still not really in there yet. I kind of created my own lane, I guess, mm -hmm. but I really want to work on mixing what I do with what everyone else does. Because, uh, like, you're right, it's the com the community here is so vibrant, it's crazy, and you can like. I used to actually wanted to I wanted to live in Toronto, and then I was like, I made the decision to stay here inevitably, ultimately. But, um, and it it struck me that yeah, I probably wouldn't have been able to get the visibility in Toronto that I got here, um, in a relatively short time. So. Yeah, it's it's um, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a pretty special place. Um, we're, I'm really happy that we moved here, and um, it's been eight years almost that we've lived in Nova Scotia, and I've built my my work and my my art practice here. Um, and it's really cool to see what other people are doing here, <clears throat> and there's a level of innovation here. Um, I don't know. It's it's just a really vibrant place to be and the smallness of it really does let your voice be heard and, and amplify the people around you. It's, it's pretty neat to see. Um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So with your work, um, what, uh, like what, what sort of influence you in a sense to go the, the direction that you went to, was there a specific, thing per se um I think that yeah I think that there was that moment when I joined the modern quilt guild mm -hmm. I was I was like oh I found what quilting can look like so um the modern quilting movement is something that uh ha was birthed kind of in the late like tw 2008 2009 ish mm -hmm. And it was established, the Modern Quilt Guild was established in California at that time and has spread across the world. Um, but seeing quilts as modern is is something that I was like, oh, yeah, like I could, that's that's what I want to do with my with quilting is the people, like there are people doing that already. And it's, you know, it's part of this group of, uh, well, now that the guild is like, 12,000 members across the world but um that was a moment where I was like I have a voice here and I under I, I think I have something to say through this medium mm -hmm. I just you know I'm figuring it out as I go and like like many others um and I think that people always have they always have an idea of what quilting is and it always is the same it's like it's it's like grandmothers and bonnets around right. a quilting frame at a like church or charity quilting bee and they're all like working on this quilt together um and to kind of shatter that perception that you know like not quilting is relevant today and people do it in a way that's relevant to today's world mm -hmm. um there are i mean quilts have always been political but quilts continue to be, to be political um and uh, say things that 
it's actually quite jarring to see like a gun on a quilt. Um, mm-hmm. But people like that's that's how you can use this medium to express something. Um, you know, something that's like quiet and pretty and beautiful and on your bed is like, no, there's a gun on there and <laughs> yeah. um, it's on the wall. And so this piece of art is saying that like, like, anti-black racism and violence is wrong like mm-hmm. <laughs> um there are things you can say in quilting um i mean you can say it in any medium but it's like the soft domestic medium um uh, is saying very powerful things uh is is pretty awesome um and uh so yeah that, that was the moment i think that was in 2016 i realized that oh i'm part of a, a i'm part of a larger thing that you know, quilting doesn't have to look like what people think it looks like. Um, and it's part of a vibrant community that is moving the medium forward. And uh, I think, change, you know, changing the way we, it's contributing to to change in a, in a positive way and moving society forward. So that I would totally get on board with. I think that, um, <clears throat> I think people also don't really know what design is. Um, and that's always kind of driven me too, is that like people think designers make things really pretty mm-hmm. and beautiful for us to enjoy. And that's never been the way I view design. Design is to like improve people's quality of life. Um, yeah. To like, there's, there's a more progressive, it's, it's, it's like, we don't make things pretty. No, like that's not our number one response. Yeah. And it's like, we make society function, like where I place this building um, from like the distance from between the building and the sidewalk is important in the way that people will navigate through their city or like, you know, like there's like things like that. It's not just like, Oh, I think it's like, it's, it's a beautiful finish. It's got like this marble floor and the, you know, it's not that. And so I think that quilting is the same. Like people think that quilts should be pretty and, and, you know, edify your life that way it's beautifying my life but <clears throat> that's not the way I see it <laughs> no I agree even on the graphic design side uh you know when I went to NASCAD obviously it's an art school it's what it's known for but it's also a design school and craft school and and uh I was struck by the number of students I met who were fantastic designers, but didn't identify as artists at all, could not draw, could not, you know, but what they had is the ability to problem solve and yes. they just chose the visual medium to do so. And uh, there is a lot of rigor in the design process that people just don't understand or acknowledge a, a lot of times because, I mean, for better or for worse, you know, a lot of these shows, I used to love America's Next Top Model because not so much because of the models, but because it was bringing design to the forefront. And I liked, uh, you know, Project Runway and, and all that kind of stuff and, and all the home decor shows. But the but where they lose me is they very much do what you just said, where they, they simplify design in a way that makes people understand it, which is great, makes people like it but it takes away some of the, uh, I don't know, it's it's not as easy as as the experts on the shows make it look sometimes. Yes, <laughs> totally. I think, yeah, it took me a long time to also think of myself as an artist. Like I, 
it took me a couple of years to be like, okay, now I'm going to take on the, I'm going to add that to my bio. Mm -hmm. Um, I always felt very, I felt very comfortable calling myself a designer because that's what I've, you know, I've been trained to do. And, and so, um, and I'm still, it's still foggy, foggy, uh, definitions for sure. But, um, yeah, I think that artists do the same thing and they problem solve and they come at it at it um, probably similarly to designers. Uh, yeah, but but yeah, I don't know. Calling myself an artist was really, really difficult to be like, oh, yes, <laughs> I, I can I can take on that moniker and 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 feel like that's actually authentic. Um, mm. But it was it was difficult at first. Uh, yeah, designers, it's just like, it seems more clear, clear. Here's a yeah. problem and you can solve it. Yes. Whereas artists, is just, it's more it's more of an open field. You're like, well, is there a problem? Can I create a problem for myself to solve? Or <laughs> is there a problem that I do want to solve through art? And so um, I am constantly navigating between the two and it's maybe I'm just both and that's fine and I don't have to separate it out so starkly honestly uh, i'm in the same boat i started on the art side first and then became a designer and then i had that this moment where i was like am i an artist or am i a designer am i both what what am i like because you know society wants you to pick so yeah uh and then even like coming up with the name art pays me and deciding what the who the brand was going to speak for and then later who the podcast would feature and then ultimately i decided to go with art in a, the most broadest possible sense but uh um yeah like sometimes it's and it, yeah in that sense the way i'm looking at art is that it doesn't have to be defined as one thing or another it it literally could be design as well it could be something else um but uh you're right um artists are tasked to solve problems it's the i guess the the way the, the problem is framed um yeah are you creating the problem yourself is there a client or is there you know some other constraint, social, a social issue, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Design seems more comfortable to me because <laughs> something gives me a problem. I don't have to define that problem myself. I mean, they can give me, hand me a problem yes. and I can look <laughs> at all the facets of it and be like, okay, here's some more problems. But, um, you know, it's, it's just more clearly, it's more clear. Mm-hmm. And being an artist is, is so much looser and, um, it's so so open like it's scary I think that one of the my biggest fears is a a blank canvas um and I mean I don't work with canvases but um if I was a painter maybe uh but it's just it's like okay well I've kind of defined my process as as that like I have a blank canvas but I'm going to start adding problems so that I'm constraining myself um so that I can do the creative work I know one of the one of the kind of main lessons that I learned in in architecture school was like constraints make your work better they make they make design better they make like architects and designers work to find a solution um, around these constraints 
um, and it makes your design richer. And so when I'm faced with no constraints at all, it's like the scariest thing. And mm-hmm. um, so I start throwing things on that canvas that, are, that become my constraints. And once I find kind of the complexity there, uh, then I can start to do the work. But I know some people love a blank canvas and they can just like throw paint on there and, and um, figurative paint in my, my, uh, in my circumstances, but in my, in my field, but um, I just can't do it. I have to, I have to start to con- constrain myself and so that I can act so that that becomes a conduit for my work is to, is to solve the problems that I've put on the canvas myself. Yeah, that works the same way for me too. I can't, it's terrifying for me to see a blank piece of paper, a blank canvas, whatever. Uh, I have to have something, whether it's a color palette, whether it's something, something to say, you're not allowed to do this thing (laughs) before you go forward. And it has to be about this. And it's like, all right, okay, I got you. Yeah. It's so, it's so comforting to be like, yeah, I've been, baby's put in a corner. That's so comfortable. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm like the first time I decided to pursue individual creative projects, uh, I, cause I was a graphic designer immediately after I graduated NASCAR and I was, I went years working with clients, decided to take clients away and do independent projects. And it was like, damn. (laughs) what do I actually want to create? I don't even know all this time. I was mad at clients for taking my creative freedom from me and yada, yada, yada. Now I have it. I don't know what I want to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's a funny paradox. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) um, so Andrea, like what is there one piece of of advice you would give someone who was pursuing a creative pursuit? What What would that be? Um, following your heart is kind of bogus. (laughs) That's what I would say. And it's just do the work. Like, I think that, um, if you not put your head down and like close your eyes to everything else, but you got to do the work and do it over and over and over again. I struggle with this all the time. Um, maybe because I probably time is my excuse that I use, but there's this one project that I'm working on and I finally found, it's actually cut up wedding dresses that I'm patching back together. And um, I've only had the opportunity to do it once. And I know that I need to do it five or 10 more times for me to understand how the material works, what I want to say with those materials and uh, how I want to mount those works um, kind of thing. And I think as a young, if you're a young artist and you, you know, the constraints on your time are not great. Let's say you have, um, I mean, I bet this is all relative, but uh, just constantly do the work, like Mm. be disciplined and do it. And I think that you'll find uh, what you have to say and how you want to say it. Um, And you know, that's, that's going to be a continual process that you'll do over and over and over again. But if you're willing to do the work, I think that you'll, you'll be able to. And I don't mean that in a, um, like a cliche kind of way, like you'll find a way, but I think (laughs) just showing up and doing it, just do the work is, is, you know, is, is very, very key to being an artist. I agree. I agree. Take that time uh, when you have it. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. If you're 22 and you want to be an artist, like dis- like being disciplined and taking advantage of that time that you do have. Um, I feel like I threw away my young adulthood. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> and I try not to think about it too much. It pisses me off. <laughs> like, what was I doing? Why did I think I was so busy? I don't really yeah. know. Um, so, uh, yeah, take advantage of, of time when you have it. Yeah. Every time I see a young hotshot come up and they're just, they've got, they've been grinding so hard and I'm like, man, it could have been me if I just <laughs> was paying attention. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so Andrea, how can people find you online? Uh, yeah, my my uh, website is thirdstoryworkshop.com, 3rdstoryworkshop.com. It's actually, I've recently split it into two. So when you go there, you can <clears throat> find my artist website. So you'll see Andrea Sang Jackson, artist, uh-huh. or you'll see modern quilt patterns and resources. And that's um, for quilters. So you can choose which side you want to look at, or you can look at both. Uh, and then uh, on Instagram, I'm at thirdstoryworkshop. And Twitter, I'm not very active on Twitter, but third story underscore. And I think that's probably it. You can find me any of those ways. I have a Facebook page too, uh, which is third story workshop. Well, Andrea, thank you for doing our page me. This was a pleasure. And I'm, I'm honored to have you on the show. You've been covered by a lot of great media that I respect and your work is fantastic. And, uh, Yeah, I hope you, I wish you great success in the future. Thanks a lot, Dwayne. Hope we cross paths very soon in real life. In real life, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Arcade Me podcast. Thank you to Langey Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at rpaysme.com or at rpaysme on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.